Hello and welcome to Fly With Your Shadow, the podcast all about music, mental health and illness, and the mess that the COVID pandemic has made of it all. I'm Jeff Robson and this show comes to you from my home in Winnipeg, Manitoba. This week on the show, I'm pleased to present a recent conversation I had with a talented singer-songwriter who's become a very vocal advocate for mental health-related causes. So you ask me to come back, then you throw me away. You know how to use me, you know what I say. Melanie Brulé is a bilingual singer-songwriter originally from Cornwall, Ontario. She spent much of her 20s living in Australia, where she first picked up a guitar and developed an interest in singing and songwriting. She came back to Canada after a number of years away and quickly established herself on stages and at festivals across Canada and into the United States. She's released two full-length albums, a French-language album called Debris Day, which came out in 2015, and an English-language album, Fires, Floods, and Things We Leave Behind, which came out in 2018. As you'll hear in our conversation, after some intense touring and hard work promoting that album, Melanie found herself burned out and questioning the direction she was heading in. A step away from music allowed her to focus on other areas of interest, including mental illness and mental health, which took on a new importance for her after she learned, long after the fact, that her estranged father had taken his own life. This led her to learn more about mental illness and deal with mental health issues of her own. In conjunction with Mental Illness Awareness Week in 2020, Melanie organized a series of conversations about mental health on Instagram Live and released a powerful song and video called The Mess. Plenty of cake for everyone you said I try to get out of bed With lines on my face, I'm such a disgrace, oh That song is a take on an all-too-familiar inner struggle, a showdown between anxiety and depression, each fighting for power over its host, leaving the mess in the wake. Earlier this year, she released another powerful song and video relating to the topic, this time in French called Crier. I encourage you to check out both those powerful videos, along with links to Melanie's site and more information at flywithyourshadow.com. I hope you enjoy this conversation I had with Melanie Boulay. My name is Melanie Brulee. I, um, I, so I was a full-time touring artist for the last uh, 10 plus years. Um, learned how to play guitar in Australia when I lived there and I spent most of my 20s in Australia came back and I moved to Toronto and uh, yeah went just full-on into music and pushing my career as hard as I could in French and in English and then uh, and then you know was touring a bunch in the states right before the pandemic hit um, and had burnt out I like had totally burnt out so at the end of 2019 I told myself I was going to take six months off work it out, see if I wanted to do, you know, keep going as I was, which was, you know, I knew was impossible. Um, so I was trying to figure out what was next for me. Um, so I was like, I'm going to take six months off. And I did. And then that dovetailed into the pandemic. And, you know, I have a pretty good relationship with the, with, I like to think I have a good relationship with the universe. (laughs) And so like, I'll ask her a question and normally she answers. And my, you know, question at the end of 2019 was like, what do I, what do I do? What do I do next? Like I have all of these ideas spinning around like a tornado in my brain, you know, like just give me a sign of which is the right one to pursue kind of thing. And, um, and she never answered. And I was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> and then the pandemic hit. And I was like, oh, that's why you didn't want me to start anything. I see. Um, yeah. And so since since then, I mean, like, I, I had a stressful 2020. And, you know, the like, like everybody did, the um, identity crisis, which I guess I had kind of had a head start on. But, um, you know, still kind of nipped, nipped me a little bit. Um and then um, I uh, 
I wanted to get into working in mental health, actually. And so I, I started, I mean, I applied for a ton of jobs in like graphic design and a bunch of different things. Because, I mean, it's really difficult as an artist when you're trying to like put on a resume all of the skills that you have, you know, and be taken seriously. Because I think that's a big problem with just the perception of artists and music is that like, it's not it's still a joke, you know, to, to a lot of people and like, people don't really understand how much you work (laughs) really and how hard you work and how creative you have to be and how many problems you have to solve and like people management and graphic design and accounting. And like, you are, you are running a small business, you know, and you're doing everything yourself. And, you know, maybe, maybe you have the luxury of subcontracting, you know, Um, but yeah, so, um, so I was applying for jobs in, in, in a different field and then a job came up at the Canadian Live Music Association and, um, truthfully, like I knew the organization existed and I wasn't really quite sure what they did. Um, and since joining the team in May, um, I realized that like, there's such an important place for this organization right now. And that's because we... Uh, represent and uh, everyone who's not an artist. So everything like behind the scenes from like suppliers to ticketing companies to festivals to agents and managers and like, you know, uh, venues, obviously. And so there's been such like a a huge uh, need for the Canadian Live Music Association because we do advocacy to the government um, and and make recommendations to the government. Um, by, you know, getting information from our members. So like, we actually have like a seat at the table in parliament, um, which is cool. Like, you know, we have somebody listening to our recommendations, um, because we do lobbying. And so, you know, it's really cool to be part of that. And I'm really enjoying being behind the scenes in music at the moment. I feel like that's kind of what, what was driving me a little bit nuts about my career is that, um, I was just like sick of being the face of it, you know? And uh, so, you know, I, I've been taking on a couple of radio tracking contracts as well, which is, you know, falls in that category of like pushing other people forward too, which feels super good right now. And, um, and I like working a nine to five. I mean, I work more than a nine to five, but like I'm getting up at six o'clock in the morning, every morning. Who am I? (laughs) Yeah. But I'm, I feel a lot more stable now. And like, I feel like I've like fit into something that like really makes me, makes me want to hustle, you know, and I was sick of hustling. Yeah. So that's who I am and what I do in a nutshell. (laughs) Okay. A lot of things I want to get to there. I want to, I want to touch on all those things, but, but I want to go back and, and for folks that aren't familiar with your, your music career, Um, give me a, give me a, give them a sense of, uh, sort of how many albums you put out when, when that happened. And, uh, you know, uh, how, how did you come to, to like, had you never played guitar before your twenties? Was that, was that a new thing? Totally a new thing. I was 21 when I first went to Australia. Um, after high school, I worked a couple of years in Kingston in restaurants and, uh, and then I was, you know, I wanted to get as far away as possible. And so I went to Australia and, um, yeah. And, and yeah, that first year that I was there, um, I actually, the first person I met had, is the one who taught me how to play guitar in, um, in Bondi beach and all the way up the coast. So yeah, I hadn't played guitar at all before that, but then I started playing like jam nights and started writing with a girlfriend from England there. And like, we wrote terrible songs. They were terrible songs, but they had to be written. And we, you know, like we'd play them at jam night and get, you know, so nervous that, you know, you'd be, yeah. I mean, it's just like, and then I was busking on the street a bunch. That's kind of where I think I like, it forced me to grow a confidence that maybe I wouldn't have had otherwise, you know, to just like own a space on a street is like really vulnerable. (laughs) But, uh, but it's, yeah, it's great. So yeah, no, I, I, and then I, so I came back to Canada in 2011 after a back and forth of like seven years. Um, of course I fell in love with an Australian guy and, 
um, we were together for seven years and, um, yeah. Um, and so I came back in 2011 and decided to push my career forward in Toronto, especially. So I was like, you know, there's, there's a lot of networking happening there. And I had gone to my first folk music conference and, you know, got invited to like come and hang out and whatever. So, um, and then I put out my, uh, my first album in 2015 and my first album is called Debride and it's in French. And I noticed after seven years in Australia, I came back with, with a little bit of an Australian accent, apparently. And, uh, and like no French vocabulary left, like pretty much at all. I had, there was a couple that were friends of mine in Australia that, um, were from France. And so like, I think even my French accent changed a little bit. I mean, like seven years is a long time, you know? Um, and then, and then, yeah, so I came back and I, I had to make this decision for myself to like keep French in my life, you know? And it's like, okay, you're an adult now. Like <laughs> you're not being forced to go to school or anything. You gotta, you, you gotta do the work, you know, if you want to keep this culture and keep this language in your life. So, so I did. I, so I started listening to, um, French radio a lot and watching, you know, uh, interviews with artists in French and wrote grant applications in French and just like fully immersed myself. And then I found after two years, I mean, like I grew up more French than English to when, uh, in my first few years of my life. Um, and then when I was six, my mom remarried and, uh, and he's Anglophone. And so, you know, we started speaking mostly English at home, uh, or French when I wanted to tell her something and I didn't want him to hear it. Um, but, uh, but then, yeah, I went to French elementary school and then I went to English high school. So, I mean, I guess I'm bilingual through and through, but I mean, I had all of the knowledge already in my brain. I just needed to unlock it really is, is what I wanted to do. And so I did this grant application to the Ontario Arts Council. It's a program that uh, used to be called, um, national and international residency. And I don't think it exists anymore, but there's something similar that does exist. There's the Chalmers grant. Um, but anyway, they, uh, gave me some money to go and spend like three months in France, uh, which was awesome. And so I told myself I was going to write a poem in the morning and at night, no matter how bad and poor vocabulary they were. Um, and then I'd come back and I'd take those poems and I'd turn them into an album. Um, and then, you know, like any good story, it totally derails and, um, and yeah. And then, and then we get into, you know, dealing with, um, you know, learning about my father's suicide and, uh, and then, and then, you know, going down the mental health path. So that was my first album in French that kind of unlocked that, that door for me. And then I put out an album in 2018 called fires, floods, and things to leave behind, the French album was more indie rock, you know, had synthesizers and like always still this kind of folk bass and uh, a little bit of surf. Like there's like this like surf element to my French album. And then the English album uh, kind of went more in like a classic country uh, meets Quentin Tarantino vibe, you know, like some kind of bluesy stuff and some, you know, haunting stuff and um yeah, so those are the those those are two albums that I put out under my own name. Forgive my ignorance here, but but the, the French music industry. So mo, mo, is most of your activity then most of your touring and stuff done in Quebec, or can you can you tour uh, sort of a wider thing with with a French album like that first record taking it out? Are you spending much time in the rest of Canada? I mean, you know. I, I didn't tour a lot in Quebec. I, I played Francophonie in Montreal and I played a few shows that like we put on kind of thing, um, a couple of album release shows. And, um, but for the most part, I mean, like I wasn't touring anywhere else in Quebec. I was like spending a lot of time, um, playing some great festivals in Ontario, which was awesome. Um, and then a little bit in the West. And then there were like, you know, some house concert tours and, uh, and then I, and then the, the, you know, the English album, I really started digging into the U S and so I ended up living in Nashville for like a couple of years and, uh, and I was touring a lot around the East coast. So I was hitting up Philadelphia a ton. I played the Philadelphia folk fest, which is awesome. Um, and then like, you know, New York city and, 
Boston and uh, DC. And I mean, I even did one of those tours in a 27 foot RV. I drove through Manhattan. I drove over the George Washington Bridge myself in a 27 foot RV. Felt like a boss, Jeff. Tell you what. <laughs> it sounds like you're taking on a lot by, by jumping into the States, you know, recording in English all of a sudden and going all over these places. What Was that kind of what, what leads to the burnout is the fact that, I, I don't know, most, most of the musicians that I know and talk to spend most of their time in Canada. It's a little easier to focus on, you know, we know what we need to do and where, where the good spots are and all that stuff, but it seems kind of frightening to a lot of to me and to a lot of Canadian musicians, I think like when you go down to the States, like where do you start and how do you find your way in this huge thing is like, are, are you taking on too much in doing that? And is that what led to the, to the burnout or, or what's going on there? Or did you have a kind of a direct plan? Well, I, is there a direct plan? And even if there is a direct plan, you gotta expect the unexpected, you know? Cause like, yeah, I mean, absolutely that that led to the burnout, but was also felt like the right thing to do at the time, you know? Like I didn't feel like <clears throat> I mean until the end there, but like I didn't feel like I was going against, you know, you just like as an artist you have opportunities put in front of you and you know, it's hard to say no. And you know, I have been saying no a lot lately and it actually feels really good, you know? And I think that's something that, you know, artists have a struggle with because we're so invested. It's not just our business. It's our person, you know, it's our story. It's our life. It's everything you are is tied in with, you know, it's pages out of your journal. Like, I don't know if it gets any more invested in your career, you know? Um, and so you want to, you know, I mean, oh man, this could go down so many roads. I mean, like, the, the the thing is with like with music is that like what I find with me when I first started, I mean, everybody around me was so supportive, so totally supportive. And, you know, I learned a lot from other musicians. I, you know, I, I was just like welcomed and, you know, my family was like behind me and everything. And I think that like helps propel you. And you're like, yeah, of course I want to do, I want to make it to whatever, you know, big thing. I'm dreaming of, you know, and then at a certain point of just like pushing in all directions to see what sticks. I don't know if it happens for other artists, but I certainly had the moment where I was like, hang on, whose checklist am I checking off here? Like, this is, I didn't write this checklist. What am I doing? You know, I don't actually want to do this and this. And like the, the trajectory that I'm on is taking me somewhere that I don't actually really want to be. And it's like, I don't, you know, I don't want to play arenas. Like I don't, I want to like, I want to talk to people and I don't want to be like ushered away in a room. Like I don't want fame. So why am I checking off stuff on my list that is taking me in that direction with, which to me, like, um, you, you move away from, from people as opposed to moving towards people, you know? So I mean, you might have a broader reach, um, but to me, everything I've seen on like fame is so lonely. And like, I, you know, get energy from people. Like, I like to see the room before I play it. Like, I'll always like, you know, check it out and like talk to people and like, you know, it, it that uh, my performance was different every time. And like, that had been like from the get go. And like, maybe that comes back to the busking thing where it's like, you got to read the room. Like sometimes you've got little kids walking up to you. Sometimes you have, you know, people who are experiencing homelessness. And like, I had some amazing interactions with people who welcomed me, you know, from the sort of street community uh, in Byron Bay when I was busking that like, I saw some, some beautiful moments that when you think nobody's looking, you know, the busker is there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You said you were experiencing kind of this identity crisis, but before the pandemic in, in 2019 is, is I think what you said. And, uh, so, I mean, at that, at that time, like, are you already questioning whether you want to be a musician at all, or are you just looking for a new way to, to focus it on the things that bring you joy about that career? 
I think I had the blinders on, you know, and so and then it just it hit me with what else can I do, you know, that's not this because it just like, it was all consuming. I couldn't think about anything else, you know? And like my, my working hours were like ridiculous, like just ridiculous, like always up until like three or four o'clock in the morning on a computer when I'm not at a show, you know, and like trying to sleep after being in a dark room with a computer in your face and like, and then, and you're writing grant applications and you're like advancing shows and you're like doing promo and it's getting to the point with the freaking algorithm that you have to like send individual messages to people to come to your shows. And frankly, everybody, fans were burnt out with music before the pandemic. I mean, you know, and so it was so hard to get people to like come out. People are burnt out in general. Like we were overworked. I feel like as a society, we were asking for a little bit of reprieve here altogether. Yeah, I think maybe we all kind of got a message from the universe that maybe some of us <laughs> didn't even expect. But I mean, obviously, you, you're into music. You've invested so much time in it because you love doing it, right? So um, I'm still I'm still curious about like um, kind of in a way turning your back on it or deciding that this isn't going to be your main focus anymore. So like when you decide to go and, and do something else, like being a part of the Canadian Live Music Association or whatever, do you still feel like that music part of you is missing or are you able to still fit in that piece? I mean, pretend, I guess pretending that the pandemic doesn't exist, but. I don't feel like anything's missing at all. Yeah, no, like I, I, I just feel like other people have things to say that, you know, like, I'm just not inspired to write or play right now. And so like, may as well, you know, may as well work on the other side of it. And like, I mean, frankly, uh, truthfully, it's probably closer to getting me to my ultimate destination, which is living in the country. (laughs) And, you know, at a certain point, it's like, okay, well, you know what it is, Jeff? It's that like, I felt like I was pushing uh, like a square into a peg for a long time. And it like, my manager and I have this saying that like, does it feel like you're pushing shit uphill? It's like, that's our thing. And if you if you feel like you're pushing shit uphill, then let's go in a different direction. And then, you know, and so I kind of just took that and applied it to, but I, I certainly don't feel like anything is missing because I, you know, I, I wanted to get away from it totally. And then, um, I, I, you know, I was thinking about like, oh, could I open a nursery? Could I go to school for something? Like, could I, I mean, there were so many questions. Like, I love plants. I love herbs. Like, uh, I looked into taking a culinary nutrition course. I was like, you know, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll start a business. Like maybe I'll, uh, start, you know, making green, uh, green roofs on places. And I don't know, like maybe I'll keep bees, but like, I was like, it's all like trying to get me back to nature. Um, and you know, so I think it's like, I'm, I'm exactly where I, I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm still very creative. I think my artist's perspective gives me an interesting look, you know, um, at this organization because my boss, the CEO and president is Erin Benjamin. And she was a touring artist for a long time too. She is a bad ass. Like she is amazing. And the crew that I work with, like we're, we're a small team and I'm, you know, I'm working with three younger women that are like just teaching me so much, like so much. I've got like, I think I have 15 years on one of them, you know, and then she's just like teaching me stuff every day. It's wild. So yeah, it's just, it's actually nice to just like take a, take a little like step back from the, and, and you know what, like I've been analyzing that, that exact thing a lot too lately. And I came to this realization that how's this? Okay. So (laughs) I may have become a performer because my, I had a trauma in my life and my, you know, so I had these like feelings of abandonment. Um, and so I may have become a performer because I overperform in everything, uh, you know, that I do well, um, as a way to like feel 
that I am, or maybe because I'm worried that I don't feel like I'm enough. Okay. I don't know if that made any sense, but I, I, and so I kind of wonder if like, because I've been doing a lot of therapy work with myself and like learning a lot about mental health, I'm like, maybe I don't need that validation anymore because I've learned how to validate myself. So, so, you know, maybe I don't need that validation of being on stage and maybe music is, you know, everything is in flow anyway. Everything's always constantly changing. So maybe music is changing for me. Maybe the relationship that I have with it is going to be different. Um, but I, I kind of know that like, you know, it's only a matter of time before I'm like, okay, get me in the studio. I need to, you know, or, or I start writing again, you know? And like, I'm still constantly surrounded by musicians and art and, you know, like I'm, you know, yeah. So (laughs) she, music's got her claws in me. And, you know, just when I was trying to get away, she was like, no, I am like deeper in music now than I ever have been in my life. Even as an artist, like I'm connecting with so many different people behind the scenes in music. And like, we are, you know, like, up to date on, you know, COVID restrictions and all of that stuff. And we're, you know, doing work in so many different departments. And there's like, you know, just there's great stuff happening in terms of organizing music. And I hope that my real hope is that people start to get it a bit, you know? Um, Cause like, you know, I've, I've, I thought for a while, I was like, what if we all just like went on strike? You know, what if we all were just like, actually, no, you can't play music anywhere for 24 hours, no radio, you know, no Spotify, nothing in your doctor's office, nothing in the car, no music, no grocery store, nothing, no music for 24 hours. See how you feel. Music is a part of everybody's life. Oh, it sounds like a nightmare to me. Right? Me too. I can't imagine. Sit with yourself for 24 hours without, but also, I mean, in, in two, in, and that goes both ways too. Like music is an escape and music is also what makes you go internal, you know? And it's like a safe place to work out all your shit. All right. Well, you've mentioned it a couple of times and a, a big focus of this show, big reason why I'm doing it. I, I really want to have conversations around mental health and, and you do as well. You have, uh, you've taken to that and have become, you know, a big, big part of the mental health awareness and, and advocacy community. Can you tell me a bit about where that came from or, or can you talk a bit about that trauma and those things that got you kind of down that road? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, like, my, my most recent connection with um, with mental health is thanks to the Canadian Mental Health Association. And last year, um, in 2020, uh, October 2020, was Mental Illness Awareness Week, and I was releasing a single called The Mess. And so I was like, how can I, you know, being as though I'm sick of the industry and I'm sick of how everything has been going and we've been in a pandemic for six months or whatever at that time. Um, I was like, how can I do something different, you know, to like promote a single without promoting a single? Cause I was so sick of selling myself. Um, so I, I did an Instagram series of chats with mental health professionals, um, in different sort of domains in different places around the world on Instagram. And so we kind of shared the screen and I would ask a few questions and, you know, whatever. And so, um, I got in touch with the Canadian Mental Health Association to see if they wanted to um, have a a representative join my little mini show kind of thing. And um, I had already been donating, you know, some of merch sales to um, to the CMHA, but I didn't really have like a a, a contact that I was in touch with on the regular. Uh, But then in October, I I met this woman named Angel. in Cornwall. And she has been like an incredible steward for mental health and like involving people. And, you know, she's got me part of the suicide prevention coalition and she's, you know, nominating me for awards and this and that. And so like, I think, you know, getting involved with it more on this level has really helped me, um, work out some stuff that, that hadn't yet been, 
worked out. And I mean that, you know, my father, um, I have a, I have a weird story. Like everybody's got a weird story. This one's pretty weird. Um, (laughs) I, uh, my parents divorced when I was like two and then I would visit my dad on weekends. And then on, when I was like three, he just like disappeared and I still have no idea where he was or what, what happened. And, um, and then when I was 11, eight years went by, I was 11 and I was on, my mom was on the phone in the basement and I picked up the phone in the kitchen and cause I was a little shit and I was like, you know, who you're talking to? Cause you know, we had landlines then and she was never on the phone in the basement and she was talking to my dad and I was like, what? And so, you know, she had called, she had found his phone number. Uh, she had always been looking, she said, and she finally found his phone number and, um, and was calling him to see if he, first of all, if he wanted contact with me. And second of all, if he was sober because he was an alcoholic. And so, um, so I hear my dad's voice on the phone for the first time in eight years. And like the mind does this crazy thing where like you start, you create your own story and you do, and, and you know, your memories, how true are they? (laughs) You know, how accurate are they? Because your mind likes to make patterns and likes to make stories. And so the, um, the thing, yeah, I mean, like, it was so it was so strange to hear somebody's voice for the first time in a long time. And then we went to visit him. And he looked like someone who was totally different, you know, than the man that I had created in my head. Um, And like the man that I had kept a relationship with in my head was still the same age. (laughs) You know, he didn't have gray hair and wrinkles, and he hadn't aged at all, you know. And so seeing this man, you know, with his arms out to me and like hugging him for the first time again was just wild. Um, and then we sort of, we built a great relationship over a year and he used to train horses, uh, when I was really young for races. And so we would go either to my mom would drop us off to the mall or she'd drop us off to a horse stable and we would like hang out for a few hours and then mom would come and pick us back up and, and she would drive me back home to to Cornwall. And we did that for like a year. He lived in Montreal. Um, and then a year later he passed away. And so, you know, that, that was, was really difficult for like someone who had just had, you know, a 12 year old girl who just reconnected with her dad. And, you know, I still had so many questions that I didn't have a chance to answer. And I was told that he died of a heart attack in his sleep. So 20 years go by and, um, I'm in the studio, I am recording day by day, and I come home at night, and it's late, and I have to be at the studio really early the next day, and I'm thinking a lot about my dad, because, you know, he was from Montreal, and my mom is Franco-Ontarian, but, like, um, there's, like, you know, a lot of the French was really in my head, and and my culture, and that sort of thing, and where that came from, and all the unanswered questions I had, and so we... um, we, you know, like my producer was staying at my house and he went to bed on the couch and I was in my bedroom and I thought to myself, I've never looked up my dad's um, girlfriend at the time from when I was young. And I found her right away on Facebook and I started chatting with her and, uh, and you know, told her that I was a musician and, and she was like, your dad used to sing. And I was like, what? She was like, yeah, no, your dad used to sing and, you know, but he was an alcoholic, of course, and he didn't want to be hanging around in bars. And so that's why he never did, you know, pursued it professionally. And I had no idea. And I never knew where my music came from either, you know. Um, So we organized for me to go and see her. And um, she found this tape of my dad singing. And uh, and so we played it and stuff. And And then the truth came out that, you know, she didn't know that I didn't know, <laughs> but the truth was that he had taken his own life. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't learn that until 20 years later, you know? So, so then there's like a re traumatization that happens that, you know, you're kind of like reliving that and working that out. And, uh, you know, it's answering questions, but it's asking a lot more questions <laughs> than than were you know that even could be answered and you have to get your head around that and that's a big 
muddy pile of goop, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but then, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I'm an optimist and, and maybe that's to my detriment sometimes, but, um, but I, I, I guess I just like started using it as a tool, you know? And, and I'm someone who like, obviously likes to talk a lot. Um, but I, I work things out by talking them through, you know? And so, um, so I just like, I, I overshared with a lot of people and, and it just became my way of, of healing and working it out, you know, and to normalize it too. I mean, like, this is a thing that happened to me and this is a thing that happens to a lot of people that are left behind by suicide and, you know, and then the deeper you get into it, you're like, oh my gosh, we are all affected by this. And then the pandemic hits and you're like, wow, look at us talking about mental health. And that wasn't happening five years ago. So, you know, there's, there's movement there and there's destigmatization and there's a lot more that needs to happen, you know, but there's, there's knowledge that's going around. And so, you know, it, it, it keeps me hopeful and, um, and, and yeah, and that's why I'm involved in mental health. <laughs> what is your hope by having these conversations? Are you, are you just kind of spreading awareness or is it, you know, still helping you deal with these things or? Oh yeah, both. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Both. Um, you know, I'm, I'm to a point, I think now that like, I have a lot of tools in my toolbox and so I'm happy to share them. And I, you know, I, I'm like a big believer in, um, in indigenous values in that way, you know, like, uh, of like, of, of, of sharing, sharing knowledge and sharing everything. So, um, yeah, I'm still working some stuff out. Totally. I mean, I guess that's, that's life, you know, we, we, we keep working it out and we do the best we can with the tools we've got. And so like, if I've got some tools that, that might help you, then why not? You know, I'm, I'm, I took a, an interesting course. Um, it was a DB, DBT skills course that was offered by, um, two women, Sarah Downing and her daughter, or Hannah. And, um, and it's dialectical behavioral therapy. And it's meant for folks who suffer from, um, a borderline personality, uh, disorder, BPD, and emotion dysregulation, it's also called, and it used to, um, yeah, and anyway, there's, there's, for, for folks who feel emotions to such a level that, like, um, you need to, you, you need something to snap, snap back to whatever it is that's a, a healthy kind of reality for you, you know? Um, but there are so many, so many, um, so many tools that, that I learned through this thing that like, and a great one was like, make yourself a mental health box. And I did this the other day and like, truthfully, Jeff, um, we were supposed to have this conversation last week and I couldn't because I was depressed and I had like a few days of luckily mine don't last very long, but I had a serious crash. Um, and so I made myself a mental health box and, um, and even though I took the course in January, I still had to make my mental health box when I needed it. <laughs> um, but, uh, I went to the dollar store and got this cute little box and I painted it and you can do whatever you want in there. I mean, you can like have little notes of like things to remember when you're having either a depressive moment or a panic attack or whatever it is that you're suffering from. You can put a couple of tea bags in there, you know, you can like write a little note that says like, don't forget that fuzzy blanket that you love, you know, because when you're in the real shit of it, it's hard to think about building a ladder to get yourself out. So, you know, if you have this little box and you know that your ladder is there, it's like, oh, okay, it's all these things that I won't remember when I'm, when I'm in the whatever it is that I'm in, you know, um, yeah, there's some there's some interesting interesting things that you can do. The mind is fascinating and the more I I learn about it and the more I research it it's like um it's a it's amazing what we do to help ourselves, to soothe ourselves, to protect ourselves, you know? And like the more you learn about addiction, the more you realize it's actually a want for connection, you know? And like Gabor Mate is fantastic if, if, if this, you know, if folks are interested in diving deep into that sort of 
the addictions um, and the substance abuse issues. Gabor Mate, yeah, yeah, I've been really uh, interested in a lot of things. I saw a great film uh, that he was a part of called called The Wisdom of Trauma, and talking about you know how how trauma leads to so many addictions and mental illness problems and so many other things. Um, so yeah, there's certainly a lot that you can learn there and and uh, talk about, right? Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot more to learn too, you know? I, I don't know for, for myself. I, I think I kind of trick myself into, into learning these tricks by, by thinking that I can teach other people. So, so I'm a teacher by trade that by trade, that's my, that's my, uh, you, you know, my day job and all that stuff. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes I learn about mental health strategies or, or problems or whatever, so that I can teach other people. And in the process, I realize that I'm actually kind of teaching myself is, is, is that a lot of what is going on here? Like, have you learned a lot about yourself by trying to kind of teach other people or, or spread these messages? Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I have learned a lot about myself through this and, but I don't think the, um, for me, the, the goal was never to teach people. It was, it, it, the goal was purely selfish. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of where it started from. I wasn't like, you know, I'm going to learn these things to like, I couldn't think that far. I was like, I just need to learn these things. <laughs> I need to know this stuff. At some point though, you did become an advocate. Like you, like you have a whole section on your website and you've done all these talks and stuff. So at some point you've, you purposefully went, okay, now I need to teach other people or help other people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's a matter of like, of, of going back to that. Like I have this information, so, so you should have it too, you know, like, yeah, I mean, and of course I, of course I keep, keep learning about myself and like, and, and now I can kind of like, I, I, yeah, I can like, I can validate myself and that's like a new thing. Um, where I, you know, I don't know if you have the same thing, but when you, when I take a shower, my brain always kind of like goes into these, like <laughs> these little daydreams. And sometimes we like, I like relive we, me and my brain, we relive the like shitty things that I've said or shitty things that I've done that like are so old, you know? And so I was like, why do I keep going back to this thing? Like, I can't even apologize to this person like anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's, pa it's so past that. And it's so long ago. Like I just need to work this shit out and get over it. How do I do that? And, and I realized that like stopping myself through that thing and being like, you said that that's okay. It's done. You know, it's like, or or maybe like, of course, Mel, of course you, you would have said something silly like that. First of all, you were nervous. Second of all, you know, like, just like talk to yourself like you would your best friend and like, wow, we, that, what a, what a, what a new tool that was like, talk to myself nicely. You know, I mean, going back to being an artist, I'm the hardest boss I've ever worked for. I'm an asshole boss. You know, like I, not to other people, to myself, <laughs> like, you know, the hours I make myself work when I was running my artist business, you know, all of it, like terrible, terrible, the way we talk to ourselves. And like, you know, you, you stand around with a friend of yours and like, you, you, you can realize that like, I would never talk to you that way. You would never talk to me that way. We wouldn't be friends. Like, you know, so I think it's important to like, you know, get to a point where, where you do see yourself as a friend and an ally and like, you know, you can separate, maybe that's why I like being, you know, outside and in the country a lot is that like those, you make your own kind of success marks, you know, you make your own, you make your own work too. And, you know, it's not like, the, it's not that I don't want to be productive. It's that like, I don't want to necessarily always be feeding into this freaking system you know it's like the 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 social media and the comparison and the you know status and the whatever it is it just like that doesn't really 
sit well with me. I like, I get way more high off hugging a tree, you know, and like harvesting, you know, sun chokes and, <laughs> and having, building a fire and poking at a fire for a while. Oh, it's so good. I love it. Anyway. You've released a couple of singles now, one last fall and I guess one um, earlier this year, right? And they both, I mean, they both kind of have a, have a bit of a mental health message or a bit of a, bit of a tie-in. Is, is that safe to say? And is that kind of intentional or? Yeah, it's just kind of what came out, but, um, but it was intentional when, um, like the, the date of the mess release was intentional. I wanted to do it around mental illness awareness week in October, um, and then, um, and yeah, the mess is about, you know, like, uh, uh, anxiety and depression, having a fight over who's going to take over the host, you know? And, uh, and that, it, that one is like a little bit more indie rock. There's like, you know, some, some, some rock elements to it. And then in April, I released Crier in French and, um, and that means to yell. And that song is like all about, um, letting yourself feel whatever it is that you're feeling and like leaning into grief and especially in the part that is anger because anger is such a big part of grief of suicide um, or has been for me. And uh, I wrote that song as I was yelling at the ocean in Gaspésie <laughs> at an artist residency in between bawling my eyes out because I felt like I wasn't good enough to be at this residency and I was beating myself up so bad. Um, and then I just needed to let it out. And so I went to the side of the ocean with my electric guitar that wasn't plugged in my Gretsch and, uh, and I was playing just to myself and just screaming at the water. And, um, and, you know, it was like, it was so cathartic to just like, we're told that we shouldn't feel angry. You know, that's bullshit. Anger is, is totally valid and is an important emotion, you know, and it's important to know how to let it out, you know, in a safe way, just like you would let all of your other emotions out in a safe way, you know? Yeah. Like anger can absolutely be destructive, but Anger can also be super productive, you know? And so what is it that that's holding you back, you know? And are these songs kind of indicative of, of the type of writing that you were doing before? Or do you think your, your, your focus of your writing, your, your sort of main topic or, or why you write is different now that you've done all these other things and you, you don't have that pressure of the music career so much? I don't know, Jeff, I haven't written a song in a while. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I don't, I, I'm not sure. I'm not, I like, I mean, I've jammed a little bit, you know, fireside, fireside jamming. Um, but, um, not, not much is really flowing in that department and I'm like, I'm okay with it. I'm totally okay with it. You know? So it's not something that you're still trying to do or, or aspiring to do is, is write new songs. You're, you're happy doing the things that you're doing and if they come, they come. Is that, is that kind of the message here? Yeah, totally. And I'm just kind of letting myself like be in whatever direction I'm facing, you know? And so it's like, it, yeah, totally. If it, if it comes, it comes. And, um, and I think I forced so much of music that it became a job and not, an outlet anymore that I like, I, you know, I ruined my own dessert kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, I, it's just like, I, I just need to, it's like any unhealthy relationship, <laughs> step away, <laughs> step away for a bit, you know, and like to find the joy in music again is, is really what I'm after. And, you know, it's funny because like every interview I do, um, and, and I did, you know, a bunch of them through COVID cause I had two singles come out. Um, people are always asking like, is this part of an album? Are you doing more? Like, what are you doing next? What else are you doing? Like, are, is there more music coming? And I'm like, like, even that question kind of gets my goat a little bit. Cause I'm like, we are the hardest hit. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the pressure that was the problem, right? Yeah. And we're the hardest hit industry and everybody wants, you know, just to consume so much all the time that it's like, you know, 
when, when that is more important than how are you, that's where we're getting into problems here. And that's where, that's where like, we need to, we need to stand up as artists and industry and, and, you know, our fault for not having set the boundaries, but you know, it's really difficult to answer that question, especially during, during this time, you know, and it's like, I would, I would love to tell you what you want to hear, but the truth is I haven't been inspired to write. I have had a, I've had a great, you know, few months, um, but I had a real roller coaster ride before that and we're still in it and all the best music comes after, you know? And so like, we're still processing stuff, you know, it's, you kind of like want to have that, um, have the luxury, you know, of a little bit of time passed, maybe, I mean, sure, write your way through it, but edit it too. And like, it's, it's hard to like, really get a grasp of what you're living while you're in it. You know, your only job is to get through it. We're still in a pandemic. It's just going really long for us. You know, time feels really long, you know, and we want to be super productive all the time because we're humans and that's what we do. But I think uh, I think hopefully we're artists in particular maybe learning a lesson that that the product is not necessarily, you know, your only your only contribution to the world. It's not it's not your whole identity is the product that you put out. Exactly. You know, so so putting pressure on yourself to have that product or to have the perfect product or whatever, um, maybe you get lost in that and maybe that was you know a big part of your identity crisis was working towards that product and not so much 100%. considering yourself 100% we never talked about it it's just the way it was you can find out a lot more about Melanie her music and her mental health initiatives at her website melaniebrulee.com b-r-u-l-e-e.com I've got links to her site and her videos posted at flywithyourshadow.com. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and learned something along the way. If so, please help spread the word about this episode and this program by telling your friends, your family, your co-workers about the show. I could really use your help spreading the word. Anything you can do would be greatly appreciated. little reminder to you to please take the time to look out for yourself and those around you. Spread some joy, empathy, and support around, and take some of that for yourself. Watch out for signs that you or people around you are struggling. There are many great resources available in good times and bad, and you can find links to some of those at flywithyourshadow.com. I always really appreciate hearing from listeners, so if you have any questions or comments or feedback or suggestions, drop me a line at flywithyourshadow.com. My name is Jeff Robson. I sincerely thank you for taking the time to listen today. I hope you'll join me again on the next episode of Fly With Your Shadow.